God's blessing on it. Again, this is Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had founded, it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority not as their scribes. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask for his blessing on it this evening. Father, we come before you in a season of strife and toil, of working very hard. We come before you uh, hungry and thirsty, needing some encouragement, some support. Lord, you are the source of our life. Apart from you, there is no good in us, Lord. You are the one who uh, has pursued us with your son, Jesus, sending him into the world to, to bring us to yourself. I pray that as we look at this word from your son, Jesus, tonight, that, that we would see more of you, that we would see more of who you are and more of who you are for us. But Lord, that we would also see the ways that you call us to respond, that you call us to follow you, you call us to receive the grace that you've poured out for us. I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit upon us to help us to see the things in this passage, to see the encouragement, to see the calls to action, to see the love that you have for us in these words clearly. Send your Spirit upon us to open our eyes to it. I especially pray for myself, God, that you would send your Holy Spirit uh, upon me to allow me to talk about these things in a way that is good and true and helpful um, and edifying for these students. Lord God, I pray that you would just draw near to us, that you would not let us leave here unchanged, but that you would sanctify our hearts and, and lead us to walk following your son, Jesus. I pray these things, O Lord, in his name. Amen. Some of y'all might know that my wife, Anna Kristen, does a thrift resale. Um, that's a, sort of a side hustle of hers. Um, and she buys all kinds of, of awesome stuff and resells it. Uh, she has a great eye for style and fashion. Um, it's just objectively true. 
But one thing that she often will, will look for, she'll find, is designer leather bags. And uh, particularly two brands that she told me that I should name drop, uh, Coach and Dooney and & Burke. She finds these uh, somewhat frequently, not like all the time, but every now and then. Never, very rarely. Every now and then. Um, I think probably maybe more frequently you find uh, fake Coach and fake Dooney & Burke bags. And when she finds these, she does a lot of research and tests them in different ways to make sure that they are authentic, to make sure that they're real, to make sure they're, they're the actual thing, that they're not counterfeit. Because if they are, they're obviously worth significantly more. And one way you can tell if it's a real designer bag or a fake designer bag is if it's genuine leather versus fake leather. Right? Genuine leather is more durable, it's softer, it's more supple, and if you care for it properly, it will pretty much last for forever. But fake bags, fake leather, does not hold up. It flakes off, it deteriorates, and over time, it will fall apart. Right? The authentic bag is more valuable and more durable than the counterfeit bag. In a similar way, like Jesus is talking about authentic Christianity, the authentic Christian life in this passage. He's warning, he's like, there's two paths in verses 13 and 14. There's two ways. He's saying, enter by the narrow gate. The, way is, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Either the, the explicitly non-Christian life or the false Christian life. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads down that path. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. We talked about this last week, about how the, the hardness of the Christian life, the difficulty, the real difficulty of the Christian life is surrendering your self-rule to Jesus. Right, The beginning of... The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who know that they don't bring anything, anything to the table with God. That's the hard thing about the Christian life, is, is knowing that your righteousness doesn't count for anything. So Jesus is talking about authentic Christianity, and he warns us against this false Christianity. And he gives several warnings in these passages regarding authentic versus counterfeit Christianity. And I know... Uh, two kind of like caveats before I really dig into it. One is um, authenticity is like very popular. It's like a buzzword. It's like, oh, like we need to be authentic. Um, there's a whole app, Be Real, that's like kind of found, founded on that. I feel like an old person saying it in that way because I know that a lot of y'all use Be Real. Uh, but like, like the premise of it, right, is like, you know, be real, be authentic. You need to like show everyone what you're doing at that moment. That's the way that you can be real, be transparent. Um when we're talking about authenticity here, we're not just talking about like, oh, like being real in the sense of like just being true to yourself. This is like authentic, real Christianity versus counterfeit Christianity. The authentic Christian life versus a counterfeit false Christian life. The second thing is the point of these passages are not to make you anxious and worried about whether you're a Christian or not. That's not the point of these passages. Jesus is, is giving these warnings, these guardrails to comfort and encourage us and to help us uh, kind of navigate the Christian life, right? Rather, it's to encourage you in quiet and sober reflection about your spiritual life. Because the truth is, if you kind of come away from some of these things thinking like that you're not a Christian, it's really easy. All you do is just like pray and ask to receive Jesus. Like, like it's, it's not like you have, oh man, I've failed to live up to these things and now I'm like hopelessly on this path to destruction. No, that's not it at all. Jesus is offering you these, this wisdom to call us to look to Jesus more fully and more completely. right? You might hear these words and you might realize that you are not really following Jesus, but the way to him is always open, repenting from your sins and believing in the promise of the gospel. But for most of y'all, for many of y'all, 
This is just an opportunity to reflect on your lives and to reflect on the lives of people around us. And also to explain why there seem to be so many Christians that like, or so many people who, people who call themselves Christians who uh, are not living a very Christ-like way. So um, I don't want this passage to cause you anxiety if you come out of this talk thinking, man, I'm worried about like where I'm at spiritually. Like, come talk to me. I would love to walk through these things with you. But the main thing I want you all to see tonight, the main thing that Jesus is saying is that authentic Christian faith, the authentic Christian life, involves both our hearts and our actions. It involves both our hearts and our actions. And he gives three illustrations, three kind of uh, examples as warnings. And I'm, th- those would be my three points tonight. First is that authentic faith is reflected inside and out. Authentic faith is reflected inside and out. Secondly, authentic faith does the will of the Father. Authentic faith does the will of the Father. And then thirdly, authentic faith hears God's word and responds. Authentic faith hears God's word and it responds. So first off, authentic faith is reflected inside and out. This passage starts, I mean, the whole way through is just a bunch of warnings, a series of warnings that Jesus gives, warning us against spiritual dangers, kind of signposts on the road towards destruction saying, hey, turn back, don't go this way. Don't do this. Right? Enter by the narrow gate. Go on the narrow, difficult path of self-denial and trusting in Jesus, not in yourself. Right? But how, how do you know that you're on that path? And, and these three points, these are three markers that show that you're on the right path following Jesus. Right? Authentic Christianity is not merely external. This is the error that the Pharisees, that a lot of the Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' day made. They thought, if I just follow the rules on the outside, it kind of doesn't matter how I feel on the inside. It doesn't matter how I hate my brother or my sister in my heart. It doesn't matter how I lust over someone in my heart. But as long as I don't act on these things, as long as I do the bare minimum, then I'm good. Um, and, and he talks about them and other false teachers in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The, the metaphor that Jesus uses, the language that Jesus uses to describe Christians, most in the Bible, is sheep, right? Sheep, Jesus says, he's the shepherd and we're the sheep. And he's saying that there's false teachers out there, there's false prophets, false ministry Christian leaders who come to you in sheep's clothing, looking like sheep, dressed like sheep, maybe acting or talking like sheep. But inwardly, they are actually ravenous wolves, right? A wolf is a predator of the sheep. They're A shepherd seeks to care for and tend to the sheep, to feed the sheep. But a wolf is someone who seeks to feed upon the sheep, to destroy them, to devour them. Right? And and it seems like not a year goes by without some well-known Christian like leader or pastor kind of being exposed as one of these wolves. Right? I'm sure you could like just look at the news over the past year and find Christian leaders in the media who have done this, who have lived this out, who who are being exposed as wolves. But, but this is something that like that has happened since the beginning of the church. Jesus is saying, hey, this is, this is going to happen. And we can see it happening both in the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament. False prophets coming in, seeking to uh, be wolves, to, to, to exact gain from the sheep, to, uh, to use the sheep for their own benefit rather than loving them and pointing them to Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus is telling us how to recognize them. In verse 16, he says, You will recognize them by their fruits. 
are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. What's he saying here? Um, he's talking about the, the way that you can tell if someone is a genuinely a Christian is by the fruit that they bear. He uses this metaphor also a lot to describe Christians, that a Christian's like a tree. And according to the nature of what's going on in their hearts, they bear fruit that reflects that. And that, you know, that's common sense. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? No, different plants. That doesn't work. A grape doesn't come from a thorn bush. Do figs come from thistle bushes? No, doesn't make sense. Like biologically, that's impossible. Does an orange come from an apple tree? No, it doesn't. Does an apple come from an orange tree? No, absolutely not. The type of fruit that a tree bears is dependent on the nature of the tree. This is one of Jesus' favorite ways to describe Christians, that they bear fruit in keeping with their nature. Right? Apart from Jesus, you and I have what's called a sin nature. Like Apart from Jesus, if we were to extend the metaphor that Jesus uses here, we are sin trees. And the only fruit that we bear is sin and wickedness and lawlessness. That doesn't mean that we can't do nice things by the world standards, but in God's eyes, in terms of, of earning favor with him, of earning love with him, our Sin nature produces sin fruit, and that's it. But in Jesus, what the Bible says is that in Jesus, we have been made new. We've been made a new creation, and so we are freed and, and are able to bear good fruit. We're, we're made, uh, we are cut off of these bad trees and, and planted uh, by Jesus into good soil where we can bear actual good fruit, which is uh, holiness, righteousness, loving Jesus more. Right? Fruit is an outworking of the natural processes of the tree. I think this is some a way that Christians sometimes really like mess up or, or get mistaken on like what uh, what's the point of like doing good things or obeying God's law. Um, obedience is a fruit of the gospel, is a fruit of something that Jesus does in your life. Like if the if the seed of Jesus, if the seed of the gospel is implanted in your heart, you will bear the fruit of obeying God. But fruit comes not from, uh, you know, uh, fruit comes from the nature of the tree. Uh, to put it maybe uh, another way, like an apple tree bears apples because of its nature. Like an apple tree bears apples because it's an apple tree. It's not the other way around. Like even if there was a season where this apple tree didn't bear any apples, it would still be an apple tree. Like the organism biologically still would be. In a similar way, like Christians go through seasons of bearing fruit. You are a Christian. You, you bear fruit. You obey because you're a Christian, not the other way around, because God has made you to be a Christian. And there's a, there's a sober warning there, too, right? Genuine Christians bear fruit, which takes time. Um, it's interesting, right? Like Jesus is saying, you will know them by their fruits. But in the verse before, he said, these prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, which indicates that there's a way that like these false prophets, they fool people for a moment. Like you, They don't bear fruit right away. There's a season where, like, they might be fooling people. They might be able to keep their bad fruit under wraps for a season, but eventually the truth will out. The nature of the fruit will show, like, the truth, the true nature of, of someone is what he's saying here. And there's a warning there, too. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Every person... Every, every tree that does not bear fruit, every person who never bears fruit in their Christian life, it's not that their faith uh, somehow isn't enough on their own. That's not what Jesus is saying. 
but rather he's saying that true faith always results in good works. That true faith always, it is impossible for true faith to not bear fruit of good works. And if you never bear fruit, that is a sign that your faith is not real in the first place. I have a friend who has an orchard, uh, and in the spring of this pasture, he's, he's trying to grow like all these kind of like super niche citrus plants, like a I think it's like a tangelo maybe there's a lot of like i'm worried of like saying the wrong one um but he's trying to grow all these like super interesting citrus like varieties but in the spring of this year there was a late freeze and a number of the trees were like really adversely affected by it um and so after the freeze he spent some time kind of examining them and tending to them and uh like had some tree experts come out and take a look at the at the orchard and it turned out that a number of them because of this uh freeze it was like in late March or April, um, some of these trees were never going to bear fruit. Like they're just, they'd been too badly hit by this freeze and they were just not going to make it. So what did he do? He, you know, he has a limited plot of land that he can have these trees on. And so he went out and he cut down these trees that were not going to bear fruit and he set them aside and he replanted uh, new fruit bearing trees, right? In a similar way, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Not that there are Christians in the orchard that are mistakes, but rather Jesus has sowed the seed of the gospel into the whole world. And many people have received it and are growing up and bearing fruit, but there are some who come in with bad hearts who are not actually truly Christians that are inwardly ravenous wolves who are bearing bad fruit. And Jesus is saying that that it is only those who truly have faith that are going to make it into the kingdom of God. And so there's, there's a sober reminder for us to examine our lives and to ask, are we bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Galatians 5 gives us a list of the fruit of the Spirit, the ways that the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's a list for you. Ways that God says that the Holy Spirit will bear fruit in your life if you are following Jesus, if you know Jesus if your trust is in him, if you have actually come into, account, into uh, an encounter with Jesus. Jesus also sums up God's law later in Matthew in this way. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's another kind of paradigm for, okay, am I bearing fruit in these areas? Am I growing in these areas? Do I love God? Do I love my neighbor? Do I want to grow in these areas? Like, have you grown? Have you grown in, in your awareness of your sin? That's another fruit of the gospel, like becoming more aware of the sin that's in your life and, and disliking it. <laughs> that's a fruit of the gospel. That's something that God does, bearing fruit in your heart. Have you have you grown in your hope of the gospel or in your desire that the life, uh, eternal life that Jesus offers is yours? And if that's true, then, then you are bearing fruit. Even if it's small, even if it's there's only a few pieces of fruit at a time, you are bearing fruit, and you can have confidence that Jesus, this master gardener, he will not fail to cultivate you, to grow you, and to bring you to the place that you need to be, to make you to continue to bear fruit. And if that's true, then you will never be cast out, because that is the Father's will. Jesus says in John 6, that it's the Father's will that he would lose none of all the Father has given to him. So continue to bear fruit. Uh, Butch, that's my second brings me to my second point that authentic faith does the will of the Father. Authentic faith does the will of the Father. Um, this next passage where it says, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is one of those passages that uh, sometimes students will come to me 
you know, what if I'm one of the ones that Jesus is talking about here? What if I'm one of the ones that Jesus is talking about here? Like, I think that Jesus is my Lord, but like, oh man, what, I'm worried that, that I might be in this category. Um, right, this is a group of people, let's look at this. This is a group of people that says Lord to Jesus. There's an external professing to follow Jesus. They would probably call themselves Christians. They point to good things that they've done to Jesus. They say, like, okay, we're Christians, you know, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do many mighty works in your name? They're pointing to uh, the things that they've done for Jesus. They said, Jesus, like, I did all these things for you. I, I did these righteous acts for you. Right? They've done ministry on Jesus' behalf. And yet there's one very important thing that they haven't done. Jesus says in verse 21, Not everyone who says Lord to me will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Right? These people who, who are saying Lord, they're pointing to their own actions. They're pointing to all these mighty things that they've done for Jesus. And yet somehow they've missed doing the will of the Father. So it's worth asking, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to do the will of the Father? They, they've not done what is necessary. Somehow, even though they've been in outwardly trying to, you know, look like they're spiritual or maybe they're working in ministry, but they've walked the easy road, the wide gate. They, they've, they've cloaked that up in religious things, in spiritual things. They, maybe they've done the Christian thing, but, but it hasn't been from the heart. And not in a way where they do the will of the Father. Jesus talks about the will of the Father a lot, actually, in other parts of the New Testament. In John 6, 29, uh, he defines the will of the Father this way. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who, have sent, who he has sent. And in verse 40, he says this, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Um, so believing in the Son, looking on the Son, believing him, it's not just like looking at Jesus, but looking to him for your hope and salvation and security. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about faith. He's talking about believing in Christ, trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and abandoning self-righteousness, hope in your actions, your good works bringing you salvation. Tim Keller, who's a, a, who was a pastor, he put it this way, if you think that you deserve Jesus... If you think you deserve Jesus based on things that you've done for him, you will not receive him. You will not get it. But if you know that you don't deserve Jesus, if you know that you don't deserve to be saved by Jesus, if you know that you, you don't deserve God's love and favor and grace, he gives himself to you anyway. Right? That's what he's talking about here. When he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons? They're talking about themselves. They're talking about what they've done for Jesus, not what Jesus has done for them, right? God wants us to plead Jesus' blood back to him as the only grounds of our salvation. These people who Jesus is talking about, they just point at their actions. Look what we did for you. We've earned a place at the table. We belong because we did so much for you, Jesus. And he's saying to those people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Right? It, it looks like righteousness on the outside, but inside it's self-righteousness. It's not real righteousness. Right? These works that seem like obedience, that seem like awesome ministry, prophesying, casting out demons, mighty works, they look great. But it's motivated by self-righteousness, not a genuine love for and dependence on God. 
Works that seem like obedience that are actually motivated by self-righteousness are lawlessness just the same. That's what Jesus is saying here. In World War II, there was a... uh, in 1944, there was uh, an operation that the Allies conducted uh, where they sent paratroopers into occupied Holland to try to liberate uh, a series of towns along this highway to try to like unlock this, this side road into Nazi Germany so that they could end the war really quickly. And in order to prepare for that, they trained, these British paratroopers pr- trained over and over again, jumping uh, out of airplanes into this area in England that was like super flat. And they would, like, stage on these fields, and they would, like, run these mock attacks, uh, moving towards these objectives. Because, in general, Holland is a flat country. It's very, a lot of plains, very flat. But the area around the objective, or the, uh, the city of Arnhem is where it was, uh, it's not flat. There are hills, and more than that, more difficult than that, there's, it's like a sprawling city. And so there's all these suburbs and buildings and complexes and and walls and maneuver there is is difficult it's it's even though they trained extra for this mission right they trained for days and days and months preparing for this their training was completely wrong and their extra training actually made them worse like worse suited for this mission they were even less prepared because of the extra training that they they had done and it ends up going like terribly it's a disaster In a similar way, what Jesus is saying is if you are doing all these extra things, if you're going above and beyond the call of duty uh, because you think that your works earn you God's favor, you're worse off. It's not helping, it's hurting. The more you try to go to Jesus saying, look what I've, I've done, I'm a good person, I've earned some kind of respect or regard or reward from you, the more and more you don't belong at Jesus's table. That's what he's saying. But if you come to yourself and say, I need a savior. I need someone to help me. I can't do it on my own. And you go to Jesus with empty hands in that posture. He promises that he will receive you, that he will restore you, that he will forgive you, and that he will give you eternal life. Right? If you know that you're a sinner and rely on Jesus' grace for salvation, then this passage cannot be about you. This passage where he says, you know, uh, to those people, I will I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like, it can't be about you if you know you're a sinner and you're relying on Jesus' grace. But if you do find yourself saying, yeah, like, I'm a good person. I follow Jesus. I should be accepted because of that. Like, then then I would suggest to you that you might not understand the gospel. And I would invite you to receive that, that, that even though we are deeper sinners than we could ever understand, that Jesus receives repentant sinners with a love that is greater than our comprehension. Turn from your self-righteousness, pray and receive the forgiveness of God because he has promised that he will give it to you. All right, which brings me to my final point, right? He's promised in his word that he will give it to you. Authentic faith hears God's word and responds. And he closes out this sermon with his final example. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Those who hear the words of this sermon, the words of Jesus' teaching, and they do them, they're like someone who builds their house on a solid foundation. And when when the rains come, when the storms come, they are able to stand firm. Their house stands firm. It doesn't fall. Right? This foundation is something that's under the house. It's not something that you can, like, assess based on just, like, looking at a house. You have to go and, and examine it and make careful study of a house to determine whether uh, it's a solid foundation or not. The foundation's beneath the surface. 
And hearing the word of God leads to two responses. Either you hear it and receive it and allow it to change your life, to shape who you are, to shape the way that you live. You make the word of God something you live by, and if it says something, then then you follow that. Or you'll hear the word of God and say, you know, that's nice, but that's not realistic. It's not helpful. Or maybe it's just not something that you're interested in paying attention to right now. Those are the only two options. You hear it and you respond, or you hear it and you don't. And Jesus is saying, is if you hear these words and do nothing, just live your life or, or be content to follow your own heart, to follow your own desires, to let yourself be the Lord of your life, it is like building a house on the sand. Foundations are essential to the health, the structural integrity of a house. And so if the foundation is cracked or uneven or built upon something that is not solid, like sand, over time this house is going to fall apart. Or if there's a storm like this, with powerful winds or some other kind of natural disaster, it will fall apart like that, right? That's exactly what happens in this little example. Um, The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It is destroyed, and the pain that comes with that destruction is great. And Jesus is saying this, is that if you hear these words and do nothing, then, like, you are setting yourself up for that. Maybe, uh, I think specifically he's talking about um, people who completely and utterly reject him. But I think it's also true for Christians that, that people who might have genuine faith, if you ignore God's word, then you are setting yourself up on, on a path that is going to be fraught with pain and consequences. The Lord disciplines the people that he loves. And maybe if you are being disciplined as a result of some poor choices that you're making, it is God's loving discipline trying to bring you back to him. To show you, hey, don't go down this road. Come back. Attend to this word. Listen to me because I love you. He's reiterating something, actually, that he said with the fruit and the trees, right? The outcome of our lives illustrates the nature of our hearts. Whether we are living by faith in Jesus. If we're living by repentance and trusting in God's grace. Or if we're living on our own, for ourselves, trusting in ourselves. True Christian faith, true authentic Christian faith, hears Jesus' words and responds to it with obedience. Right? Ultimately, right, that's, that's what it means. Obeying the word of God, obeying Jesus, obeying all of the things that he has said. Obedience just, you know, is this. Uh, hearing the good news of Jesus, hearing that he is Lord, hearing that he's offered you eternal life, that he has made known to you the will of God, and living like that's true. Obedience is is hearing the good news of Jesus and living like that's true. And so if, if that is all that it is, if that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand, that, that if we respond to Jesus' words in obedience, that we will stand firm in the day of, of disaster, of trouble. And standing firm, by the way, it doesn't mean that you like kind of greet all your troubles with a smile and that you're happy all the time. Standing firm means you can have a confidence, a quiet confidence, that nothing in this life ultimately will finally and fully destroy you. Because you have a life beyond this life that that nothing in this world can touch. If this is true, then then we ought to hear this word and put it into practice. Hear what Jesus has said this semester in his word. Like, listen to what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount. Where he's talking about, like, it is to those who are merciful that the kingdom of God comes. It is to those who are poor in spirit who receive the kingdom of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. They will be heirs to the kingdom of God. Listen to what he has said about fighting against sinful anger. 
Listen to what Jesus has said about taking the problem of lust seriously, to abstain from sexual immorality, no matter what the circumstances might be. Listen to what Jesus has said to to be merciful to people around you, to take your worries and anxieties to God, trusting in him as the Lord of your life. Trusting in Jesus. I want to close with this idea, um, with this question. Like, why listen to Jesus? Why trust Jesus at all? These last two verses say something about how the people, like, received what he was saying to them. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not the scribes. All the other teachers, all the other scribes, they would say, well, God's word says this. And Jesus believed that God's word is valid and viable and, and, and authoritative too. But Jesus is also God. And so his word is also God's word. He's the only one in the Bible who says, hey, listen to me, not listen to what God has said. He's the only one in the Bible who says, this is what I'm saying, instead of thus says the Lord. He taught of his own authority because he is God. He's not just some wise person, not a guru, not just some guy offering a self-help, self-improvement plan. Jesus offers you life itself by going to the cross and dying for you. And by doing that, he earned eternal life for you. That's why we should trust Jesus. He's the only God, the only person who gives his life for yours. The only power in this world that, that will give his life for yours. Give his life for you. Every other system of belief from Islam to atheistic materialism, says, you got to make it. you got to make it on your own. you got to be the right person. you got to do the work. You have to do the good things and earn your place. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You cannot earn it. You cannot earn it. You cannot. You can't work your way in. You can only come to Jesus with empty hands humbly and repentantly asking him for the life that he has to give you and then receive it. Let's pray. It is the something that is the most foreign to our natures to just receive and not want to pay for it, God. To receive life not having earned it. And yet, Lord, that is the only way that we can draw near to you. God, I pray that you would help us tonight to understand more your grace, your love, and our call to be to, to respond to it, to be faithful to the things that you have called us to, God. I pray that you would bless these students, that you provide for them and care for them in everything that they do, in all of their studies and classes, in their travel over the holidays. I pray that you would bless them and keep them, that you would put your hand upon them and give them peace and comfort by your spirit and bring them back here safely. Lord, I pray that you would just draw near to them and make them to feel the love that you have for them. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.